Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 263. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and I'm really looking forward to this one. This topic is something that really is important to me, and I have a personal connection to this issue. My guest today is Dr. Gail Gazelle. Gail is a former hospice physician, part-time Harvard Medical School assistant professor, and a master certified coach for physicians. After working in the field of -of end-of-life care for most of her professional career, Dr. Gazelle shifted her focus to another vulnerable population, physicians in the modern American healthcare system. Dr. Gazelle's passion is in providing physicians the resilience skills not covered in training that make the difference between burnout and surviving the marathon of a medical career. A longtime mindfulness practitioner and educator, Dr. Gazelle is a certified mindfulness meditation teacher with world-renowned teachers Tara Brock and Jack Kornfeld. Dr. Gazelle is the author of The Daily Dose of Calm, a free 14-day mindfulness mini-course, and her book, Everyday Resilience, came out in August 2020. We're going to be talking about physician burnout, and we had so much to say about this topic that we needed to turn it into two episodes. So here is part one of my interview with Dr. Gail Gazelle. Before we dive in, I just want to let you know that if you're a therapist and you're interested in joining one of my trauma therapist consultation groups, registration is now open. I'll put the link in the show notes for today's episode, but you can go directly to www.bahealing.com. That's B as in boy, A as in apple, healing, H-E-A-L-I-N-G.com slash TTC21 for Trauma Therapist Community 21. So 
So I hope you will go check out that link if you're a trauma therapist interested in joining us. The groups begin February 17th, 2021 and February 19th, 2021. So want to jump on that if you're interested. I'm not sure when the next time is that I'll open up new groups, but these groups are limited to five people and we've still got space, but um, check it out if you're interested. Bahealing.com slash TTC21. Thanks. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I am so happy to be talking with a very interesting guest, and I think we're going to have a fascinating conversation. My guest today is Dr. Gail Gazelle. Gail, thanks so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. My pleasure. Gail is the author of the book, Everyday Resilience, A Practical Guide to Build Inner Strength and Weather Life's Challenges. And she's a meditation teacher and a coach, very interesting person. And I'm so excited for us to get into talking today about physician burnout. But before we even do that, let's just start off by you telling our audience a little bit about yourself and your work. Great. So I, for most of my career, was a hospice physician. So I cared for terminally ill patients in the last days, weeks, months of their lives, as well as caring for their families. And it was work that I found so incredibly satisfying, Laura, really sacred work to journey with people in this intensely vulnerable period of their lives. At the same time, I was a mom. I had a busy academic career here at Harvard Medical School as well. And I started really suffering from burnout. I felt guilty when I was home with my son that I should be working, maybe catching up on medical literature when I was at work. I felt guilty that I wasn't home with my son. And it was really wearing me down. And I actually stumbled into executive coaching. I got coached myself. And it was so tremendously helpful that I decided to become a coach. Now, I'm somebody who had been in therapy for years for complicated trauma in my own life, and therapy was amazingly helpful. Coaching just felt like it helped me leapfrog forward to things that had almost seemed immutable, like that I would go to my grave with (laughs) despite Mm. therapy. So I was so impressed by my own results that I decided to become a coach and help fellow physicians across North America cope with burnout and build their resilience. Along the way, I deepened my own mindfulness practice and spent two years in an intensive mindfulness meditation teacher training with two global mindfulness leaders, Tara Brock and Jack Cornfield. And so I've deepened my own mindfulness practice and really been able to use mindfulness as I coach physicians. As you said, I wrote this book recently, which is a synthesis of a lot of what I've learned in a very practical fashion. Well, I think it's so beautiful. I mean, what a gift to one, having been a hospice physician, which is such a sacred work, as you said, and my family has benefited from the work of people who all of the members of the hospice team and how how it helped us through losing a loved one. But, you know, the mindfulness work is such a beautiful gift to the world, too. But it really, for me, it's been something that I've sort of heard little bits and pieces of people talking about the topic of physician burnout. But 
it doesn't seem like it's something that's really out there in the public awareness as much as I wish it were, because I don't think a lot of physicians realize just how common it is. And, you know, we therapists are always talking about burnout for ourselves, but with physicians, it seems like it's something that's just not discussed, or maybe I'm just not in the right circles to be hearing about it. But how much of a problem is this? It's a big problem. We have a lot of studies now documenting levels of burnout in typically 30 to 40 to 50 percent of physicians, you know, one in three or one in two physicians. And that's in a wide variety of specialties. The fields of medicine that always come out near the top are frontline physicians. So emergency physicians, family physicians, internists. And again, there's a lot of data showing the high levels of burnout. So within the medical profession, we've considered it an epidemic. Now, Mm. of course, it's not the epidemic that we're talking about now in, in 2020. But within the profession, there's actually been growing awareness of how profound a problem this is. And we're aware, you know, within the practice of medicine that the impact that this has obviously on the ability of physicians to be empathetic with patients. Because when you're burnt out, you're very focused on yourself and your own suffering. And when we think about burnout, we think about a triad of of symptoms, as it were. The first is emotional exhaustion. You know, the tank is just empty. You don't have compassion to give to other people. And the second is... um, a sense of cynicism about the practice of medicine. I'm not doing any good. Why should I even try? And what's called depersonalization, where we begin to see patients and coworkers as objects to navigate in the course of our day, as opposed to, you know, the true and full human beings that they are. Then the third thing that we see is a loss of sense of meaning and purpose and an inability to connect with our own strengths and accomplishments. So that triad is pretty hefty, the emotional exhaustion, the cynicism and depersonalization, and the disconnection from meaning, purpose, strengths, and accomplishments. And you can imagine, as you hear that, the wide-scale impact that that has on our ability to be there for people, to go the extra mile to really be committed to the endeavor, to come at it in a wholehearted way. So I I think the cost of it is enormous, not to mention early retirement, physicians leaving the workforce and very tragically self-harming behaviors like physician suicide. So the impact of burnout is enormous and we are coming to understand more and more about it within the profession, even if it isn't, you know, kind of on the front page of every paper. Okay. Well, I'm glad that the the profession is is recognizing it more so than at least than it is out in the general public. But I think what you said about the loss of empathy for patients is obviously a major, I would say, risk for obviously for patients and for physicians, you know, even in terms of thinking about like mistakes and liability, but in also a human toll, more importantly. A profound human toll. And yes, there is literature that um, demonstrates the positive correlation between physician burnout and medical errors, very sadly. 
there is the lack of empathy, the lack of being able to be present, the lack of being thorough because you're so burnt out and you're so, again, cynical. You know, I'm not helping anybody anyway. It's incredible. Sometimes burnout is called the erosion of the soul. It is profound, the human cost, both for the person who's suffering from it and then, you know, in your field as therapists, mental health providers, and in, in the broader field of healthcare, it is profound. And the impact of it, it is enormous. When we think about our loved ones, you know, needing care, you imagine, you know, a physician who's fully engaged and devoted and compassionate and, you know, really bringing their whole presence cognitively and, and emotionally to that patient as opposed to a doctor who's burnt out, who's emotionally exhausted, who's depersonalized, who doesn't see your loved one as, as a human being. It's a scary thought. And yet there are a lot of doctors in that state. So the cost of it is enormous. I, I fully agree. Yeah. I'm wondering if you could talk about, is there something in the work of being a physician that makes them particularly vulnerable to burnout? Yeah, definitely. A tremendous dysfunction in our healthcare system, right? I don't think that's going to be news to any of your listeners. In many ways, the healthcare system is broken. And with the corporatization of healthcare, there's an emphasis on the bottom line, an emphasis on productivity rather than on humanity. And that is especially problematic in healthcare, where we're dealing with human beings, vulnerable human beings who rely on the health of their bodies to function and reach their goals and live their lives in you know, whatever way they choose. So the corporatization of medicine and the attendant focus on kind of see more patients in less time, do more procedures, things that the healthcare system can bill for. It's part of a general trend in American society and Western society in general towards corporatization. It's not just healthcare, mm-hmm. but I think it's particularly detrimental in healthcare. So that's one thing. Then the advent of the electronic health record. So physicians, by and large, wanted an electronic health record. You know, if we kind of look back into the 90s and into the 2000s, But they really had no idea what they were going to get. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's often said that these electronic health records are kind of at a fairly primitive letter level in terms of the technology of what the user interface is. So a lot of time with inefficient programs, you know, um, a lot of clicks. There was one article that came out, you know, 4,000 clicks to order an aspirin. You know, it's kind of tongue in cheek, but it gives you the flavor. So physicians have um, become ensnared in kind of the trap of the electronic health record. Healthcare systems can't bill if they don't have a document. And the care and feeding of the electronic health record has taken just a massive toll, not just on physicians, uh, you know, mental health providers for sure, and nurses and everyone in healthcare. So that's another factor you know, throw in a little COVID with all of the additional pressures. And it's really been a tipping point, I think, for healthcare providers. All the fears with COVID, not just fears of getting it yourself, but of then transmitting it to your loved ones. Uh, The barrier around PPE, you know, personal protective equipment and telehealth and what that means, if you think about that, around the depersonalization 
of burnout. And then, you know, you're gowned up and gloved up. And the only thing you can see is the person's eyes. There's a lot of depersonalization there, right? You can't Mm -hmm. even put your hand on somebody's shoulder or comfortably listen to their heartbeat. So that, I think, has stretched an overstretched system much thinner. It's uh, certainly stretched our society much thinner, hasn't it? But in terms of healthcare professional burnout, these are all very important factors that are contributing to this very multifactorial problem that we're in. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking while you're talking, I worked in a hospital well, I think it was like 2012, I was working in a hospital and what we had to do for the electronic health record, I remember there were these things for discharge planning. It was like so complicated and I was a very computer savvy, tech savvy person, but it was like, it seemed such a waste of time, not helpful to the patient at all or the provider and time consuming and not user friendly. And it was it was so frustrating. It was for me, it was kind of easy because it was just this was a part time job and I would only have to do it a few days a week. But it was that one thing that would be so frustrating and annoying. And and I remember the same EHR system that we had, which is probably one of the big ones, is was later implemented into my doctor's office. And my doctor was so stressed about the EHR system that she lost a significant amount of weight and her hair was falling out. And I mean, every time I would go to the doctor, I must've been in the winter or something. And I was like, you know, the flu or this or that. But um, so I was going to the doctor fairly often and, you know, the different providers were all talking about, oh my gosh, we've been doing this implementation of this thing and we don't have our old, our old system that we used to use. We can't access it through this. And it was, It was a major, 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 major problem for them. Well, I wish I could say, Laura, that it was only your doctor, but this is doctors across the United States everywhere. Uh, The toll of the electronic health record has really been substantial. And then, you know, you have, let's say, a hospital that you work at as a physician and you have your outpatient practice. Well, your patient has an emergency and goes to a different hospital. Well, sadly, that electronic health record probably doesn't communicate with yours. So then you have to somehow track down these records, get them inputted into the electronic health record. There's duplication. You know, it's, 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 it's caused so much wear and tear. And again, we don't have typically Cadillac electronic health record system. Right. Um, and, you know, I've had physicians in rural areas, they spend hours getting their charts done. And then, you know, the power goes out and, and it's all erased. Oh you my know, gosh. That, that's actually not uncommon. Or, you know, a really inefficient system where they just have to click, 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 click. I coached a physician, a hospitalist, a wonderful guy, very well respected by his colleagues. He developed a frozen shoulder and couldn't type. And he was put on medical furlough. Okay, so this is a competent physician. No, No cognitive impairment gets put on medical furlough because he can't type at a computer. So there's a lot of crazy making here um, that you can hear, and it's costly. It's costly to everybody in the healthcare system, and it's cost costly to us as citizens who, you know, eventually may need healthcare. Gosh, it's just, you know, I know I'm focusing on one of the smallest parts, really, of in terms of like it's the least human part of this that we're talking about, but why can't they just 
have, I mean, ironically, you probably don't know this, but this podcast is sponsored by a, an EHR platform that is for therapists called Therapy Notes, which is so easy to use. It makes doing mm. your documentation a breeze. You can get it done really quickly because it's so intuitive. And I'm not saying that as a pitch for them, but because it can be like that. So mm. it doesn't need to be this dinosaur system. Yeah, I'm not a, an IT person myself. Um, I think there's a lot of people looking into this, a lot of people trying to figure out how to make it better. There's so many compliance um, factors that come into it. You know, how a note, you can't cut and paste, you have to have this feature in it, you have to have this amount of detail, you know, in terms of the billing for the healthcare system, all sense. the compliance metrics around Medicare and Medicaid and all the various commercial insurers. You'd have to get an expert on more to really talk about the ins and outs. But suffice it to say that ask any physician what is the most challenging part of their practice and nine out of 10 will tell you it's the MR. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do know. um, I know someone who is a physician who his one of his children was thinking about going into medicine and he said, don't do it. These EHRs will kill you. And I was shocked by that statement. But, you know, And certainly I didn't expect you to actually explain why they can't, but you made a good point about the different regulations and insurance requirements and things like that, that, you know, many therapists do deal with. I don't, I don't accept insurance, so I don't have to deal with that. But yeah, it's just, it seems like such a stupid way to be contributing to such a hefty emotional and cognitive burden for these clinicians when they could be doing their good work, you know? I think most healthcare professionals would agree with you there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So something that you and I were talking about before we started recording too, is that the process of training physicians is inherently pretty, well, it's intense and demanding. Everyone knows that. But do you think that that contributes at all to burnout? Oh, without a doubt. I I could spend hours talking about issues in medical training that really, I think, set us up for burnout. But I'll just delve into a few of those. There's a real emphasis on perfectionism for physicians. Um, You can't make mistakes. You always have to know the answer. There's no room for uncertainty. And that is really drilled into us in our training. And yet you can't really be perfect. The definition of perfection is unattainable. Mm -hmm. And there's so many comparisons that are part and parcel of the training of physicians. Are you as good as that one? Are you as smart as that one? And if you're not perfect, you're sometimes shamed as a failure. And that is a very big factor that sets physicians up for burnout. It leaves us feeling like an imposter. The incidence of imposter syndrome is exceedingly high amongst physicians. It leaves us very critical of ourselves. So that's one area, and I'm happy to talk about that more. The second area that I think is really important is that we learn almost nothing about how to manage our emotions. Now, in the practice of medicine, you're dealing with sick people by definition. And when one is sick, one is vulnerable. And when one is vulnerable, there are emotions, of course. We all know that. We're not at our best when we get sick. It's scary and we lose control. 
And we really learn next to nothing as physicians about how to be with the complex emotions that patients experience and how to be with all the emotions that come up for us, all the sadness and grief that can come up when you see ill people. Perhaps you see somebody your own age or your child's age. And of course, that's going to bring up just, you know, uncomfortable emotions. And yet we get no training in how to manage that. So that's really the second thing, the last lack of any attention to emotional intelligence and emotional well-being. And the third that I, I think is critically important is similarly, we learn next to nothing about how to manage that instrument that we are all using all of our waking hours. In other words, our minds. We don't learn how to work with our own thoughts, how to question which of our thoughts are true, for example. You know, so many of our thoughts are worries and rehashing something from the past or, or concerns about the future. Some of our thoughts are true, but I think you know, and I'm sure your listeners know, that a lot of our thoughts are kind of fake news. And <laughs> the practice of medicine, you know, is so kind of hyper cerebral that we don't really learn that maybe our cognition is kind of giving us some information that is not accurate and that is worth questioning. And I think that really leaves physicians very vulnerable to a lot of mind chatter. I've coached psychiatrists who've actually said to me, you know, Gail, I'm sitting with a patient in talk therapy and I can barely hear what they're saying because my mind is chit-chatting away, you know, like they don't know how to rein in all of that mental noise that is part of the human experience. We all have, you know, very active minds. They're producing thoughts right and left. And we can learn with mindfulness and some other skills how to work with our busy mind so that we can harness our mind most effectively and tune out all of those distracting thoughts. But the practice of medicine is so focused on facts and learning all the rare diseases and every possible biochemical reaction that goes on in the human body that they, they don't, there doesn't seem to be any room in the curriculum or room has not been made for the important skills around mindful attention to our thinking mind. So I think those three, the emphasis on perfectionism, the lack of any attention to emotional intelligence and well-being, and not being taught how to manage our own minds, they have a, they have a really profound effect. They, they kind of leave us, in a sense, very brittle and mm. erode our natural resilience. You know, I, I mentioned my book. I'm keenly interested in resilience and what builds it and what depletes it. And there is a great deal in medical training that simply depletes our natural resilience of what I think of as our well of resilience, of strengths and wisdom and courage and goodness that a lot of physicians start off with. <laughs> but the, that well is, is just parched dry by the time we get through medical school, let alone the next you know, three to five or seven years of residency and fellowship training that many physicians go forth in. Yeah. Well, and and when you talked about wisdom, you know, and things like curiosity, it's how can you really have all of those things require you to slow down mm. to stay in that mindful state, right? Mindfulness mm -hmm. is a slower pace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so much of medical training is don't just stand there, do something. <laughs> go, yeah. go, go. Have an answer. Be the captain of the team. Never show weakness. 
you know, move, move, move. So that adage that I, I think comes from John Kabat-Zinn, you know, one of the pioneers in, in mindfulness in, in modern Western society, that we're not really human beings, we're human doings. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. true for all of us. And then medical training really takes that to an even more intense level. So, yeah, it's not about reflection. It's not about pausing and seeing what's really here and stepping out of you know, kind of a straitjacket of stories and narratives and ways of thinking that may not really um, give us an accurate portrayal of, of the world around us. Yeah. There's two pieces that I'm curious where they fit in the way you see this. One is the way they, what is it, 36 hour call shifts that students do in medical school? It used to be. There there have been a lot of work hour restrictions that have come into play. So the hours are probably a bit less than that, but they're still intense. Yeah. It's like expecting people to perform at a level, you know, highly tuned machine would when they aren't getting enough sleep, mm-hmm. you know, and they're just being yes. driven so hard. That just doesn't, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And there are a lot of compelling arguments uh, of reasons to have more humane hours. Yeah. My training, you know, is a number of years ago, but yeah, I remember being on call, you know, every second, every third night, the exhaustion, it was hard to think clearly, no attention to one's own bodily needs. And, you know, that's another area when we talk talk about what happens in training, there's very little emphasis on self-care. We Mm. who are in the business of taking care of the human body, we don't learn anything. We're not encouraged to take care of our own. It's really take care of all these other people. Don't take care of yourself. And that takes a toll over time. Again, there, there are things we can do to take care of ourselves. You know, obviously, nutritionally, exercise, sleep, those basic things uh, to care for our body. And then so much more than that, you know, ways that we can be kinder to our body, nurture our body that houses us, you know, for the time that we're on this earth. And yet we don't learn that and we don't see role modeling of it. Now, the good news, really, Laura, is that these things can be learned. They can be built in. It's not that difficult to change these things. And with the heightened awareness of burnout in the medical profession, I think some medical schools and other training institutions are taking a closer look at this. You know, for example, um, I'm I'm so pleased my book is being used by a couple of medical centers to bring more wellness and resilience to trainees. So that's wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm I'm so heartened by it because, uh, you know, these are things that we can learn. And I think that's why you have this podcast, right? Because you Mm -hmm. want people to learn and grow. We can learn how to be more compassionate with ourselves. We can learn how to be more focused on self-care. We can learn to be more mindful and intentional. But we we have to be given the tools to do that learning. (laughs) And I think it's fair to say there is room for expansion there in medical training. Yeah. And that's a very hopeful message. I definitely want to talk about that in more depth too. But before we do, I wanted to ask you about the other piece that we haven't talked about yet, but is in my mind, Where do you think the trauma fits in, Uh, trauma exposure fits into the burnout issue? It's a great question. 
Yeah. Trauma comes in so many forms, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. For physicians, there's kind of the basic level of the trauma of seeing sickness and vulnerability and seeing it so up close. Uh, For a number of years, I directed an outpatient pain program, so chronic pain, Mm-hmm. Uh, chronic pain from diabetes or from an accident or you know post cancer chronic pain and i found that very traumatizing uh, the number of people that i saw who had chronic pain after a motor vehicle accident you know some human being like you or i just going along and getting into a car accident and being left with chronic pain and i i had to really work with myself around how i um how i reacted to that stimulus of seeing patients through no fault of their own living with chronic pain from a car accident so i had to be very intentional you know, to not let that kind of carry over and burden me unnecessarily. But that's an example of the kind of, um, you know, just trauma that we see in patients. And how do we internalize that? Do we do we know how to work with it in a, in a way that it doesn't really provoke unnecessary anxiety in us? So that's one form of trauma. Then, you know, so much trauma around COVID. I was working in a large healthcare system for New York City during the pandemic. So really in April and May, the height of of the pandemic, particularly in New York. And I was asked to lead support groups for physicians in this large healthcare system and the level of trauma, you know, coming into your emergency room and seeing patients in body bags because of deaths in the emergency room from COVID. Or uh, a physician who wasn't a frontline physician, a radiologist, who you'd think, well, they weren't really exposed to the same, you know, level of difficulty as somebody in an emergency room. But one radiologist said to me, yeah, but Gail, my parking spot was right next to the morgue trucks. Mm. You know, that kind of trauma. That's another kind of trauma that um, just kind of seeing the ravages of COVID. Then there can be trauma from our own lives, from our childhoods, let's say from abuse in our childhood or mental illness in a parent or a loved one. There's that trauma, (laughs) which again, sadly, um, most physicians don't learn how to manage that, how to work with it, all the tools that you you in the mental health field bring. Physicians see mental health providers often with so much stigma. They're often afraid to seek mental health guidance because, oh my goodness, what if I ever had a malpractice case? And it was on my record that I was seeing a therapist you know, crazy. And Mm -hmm. yet those are the kind of things that physicians are concerned about. Wow. Never, ever thought of that, but oh, wow. That makes sense. That is a big one. And that's so terrible Mm -hmm. to penalize people for seeking help when they need it and to reward not seeking help. Exactly. Well, and yeah. And with, you know, with our digital world, um, I've heard physicians go out of state to get a prescription filled for an SSRI, for example. Oh my gosh. Or paying cash so that they don't have it in their insurance, you know, in the in the big brother, you know, system in the sky, whatever cloud, because right. that, that information could be used against them if they ever had a malpractice suit. And their insurance company is, you know, their their hospital that they work for, you know, like yes. oh issues around confidentiality. <sighs> um yeah. It is really something. Um, So there's a lot of vulnerability for physicians. And 
you know, there's vulnerability for a lot of people. So I don't want to really be saying, oh, physicians are so special and, you know, deserve some kind of special place. This is hard for a lot of healthcare workers. Oh, know? definitely. So I want to, I want to be clear about that. But um, all of these things contribute to, you know, a lot of wear and tear. And yes, we should all be encouraged to get guidance and help and resources. And, you know, that's what we tell our patients to do. We should be doing the same. And yet sometimes there are real barriers there um, that are very unfortunate. And again, contribute to that erosion of the natural resilience that people have when they enter their medical training. I think as we come to the end of our first part of talking about this, and we'll continue this conversation in our part two, it's it's definitely, I want anyone who's listening to hear that it's not just physicians and any healthcare provider can be faced with these same concerns. And obviously, everyone who's listening knows that if you've ever listened to this podcast before, you know that we therapists are at a high risk of burnout as well. And any anybody in the helping profession, attorneys, police officers, firefighters, any first responders, anyone who helps people for a living but I think it's it's so helpful to hear the unique perspective about physicians because they're kind of like almost on a pedestal in our culture that they're, you know, they're above it all. <laughs> Alas, they're mere mortals, you know, like everyone else. And I'm, I'm so glad that you're saying that because it's so intense um, coming back to what you just said about the risks for mental health professionals it's unreal, you know, the kind of trauma that you hear and the vicarious traumatization. So I want to really name that and honor that for your listeners who are working in whatever capacity in the mental health profession. I, I, my heart really goes out to all of you for, for what you have to see. And, you know, so again, it, this affects all of us who are dealing with human beings and trying to help fellow human beings. Right. We go into this profession because we care and then it hurts us that we care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again, we can learn how to take better care of ourselves with self-care, with self-compassion, with mindfulness, with tools to ma manage the ever-present inner critic. There's so much that we can learn, but again, is it always incorporated in our training? The answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gail, let's tell our audience where they can find what you're doing and all of the things that they will find there, because I went on your website. It's a wealth of information. Thank you. Yes. So my website is gailgazelle.com. And I offer a free chapter from my book, Everyday Resilience, so people can feel free to download that on the website. And I also offer complimentary 30-minute consult sessions for anyone who's interested in physician or healthcare professional coaching. So those are, and then I have a lot of meditations and talks and videos. So yes, I encourage people and a, a lot of free things, free resources. So please, um, you know, I, I want to encourage your listeners to make use of them. Wonderful. Thank you. It has been a joy to talk to you for this first part of our conversation before we go to our part two. So I just want to thank you for being here. What a pleasure, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. Hey everyone, just wanted to take a minute to tell you about my trauma therapist consultation groups. 
These are small online groups for trauma therapists or therapists who are working with clients who have trauma and want to become more trauma-informed in the way they practice. The groups are limited to six people per group, and we meet one hour or one hour and a half per month, depending on which option you choose. And the group is for learning, improving your skills, connecting with additional resources for helping trauma survivors. And it's also for support and community because being a therapist can be very isolating and trauma work can be very isolating. So we come together and share our common experiences to help each other remember that we're all human and give and receive support. So if you're interested in learning more, you can sign up for the email list to find out when registration opens. It will be opening on February 1st. And if you want to be one of the first to find out about that when it goes live, join the email list. There is a link in the show notes for this episode to sign up for that. I'll also announce it here on the podcast when registration opens. Hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.